Um, we're in a series called Give It Up, and um, with the help of the guy who wrote The Purpose Driven Life, if you've never read that book, you should read that book, great book. With his help and the help of Stuttgart Harvest Church, we're doing our best to help us kind of get over some hurts and some habits that we've had in life, some hang-ups, things that have just bogged us down. We're doing our best to get over some destructive things that perhaps we have carried for months or years or decades. The first week we talked about this reality check where we said, you know what, we have to get to the point where we say, I throw my hands up because this is bigger than me. I, I have tried to control this problem. I've tried to get over it. I've tried to work it out, but it's not working. Everything I have tried has always failed. I have to admit that this problem actually, instead of me controlling it, it is really controlling me. And that was our reality check on the first week. We said, I can't do this. I have to admit I can't get over this. If I could have, I already would have gotten over it. That was the reality check. And then uh, during the week on the blog, we talked about the next step. And the next step was this. It said, you know what, but even though I can't get over it, there's hope because God can. He cares about me. He cares about my problem. He cares about this. And he will, he's willing to help me get over that. Last week then we said that, okay, it, we have to admit that we can't do it. And we have to admit that, yes, there is a God, a loving father who wants to help, but that's not enough. We have to do something. And so last week we talked about that. We said we have to make a commitment to say, I'm going to turn this life over my will, my decisions, who I am. I'm going to turn all of that over to God and put that in his hands. And some of you, many of you did that last week. Some of you kind of renewed that and said, you know what? I did that previously, but I've kind of walked away from that. So I'm going to kind of renew that and say, yes, God, I'm confirming this is yours. And some of you did that for the very first time. And that is so awesome. That was Sunday. And so then we woke up Monday morning and we looked around and we were like, man, I feel the same. I still have all this junk in my life, right? And then Tuesday rolled around and we could add a few more things to it. Then Wednesday came and it was like, yeah, there's a lot of junk here. I still have it. I still have problems. I still have hurts. I still have these habits. So my, my information here is that we're not done yet. And God is not done yet. Because you may have, uh, you may have uh, started your day out last Monday, and you may have still had guilt over a lifetime of issues that you have been dealing with. And you woke up, and there it was. You still had guilt. And you're saying, how am I going to live with this, deal with this? If this is what it feels like, I don't want that. So what am I going to do? How am I going to get rid of that? We're going to help you take some steps. We've taken some steps so far, and we're going to take some more steps. And so we want to help you work through maybe some of those, some of that guilt that we carry. Because you know what guilt does? It keeps us stuck in the past. It keeps us from growing because it kind of weighs us down and drags us down. It will keep us from becoming everything that God wants you and wants me to become. So we're going to learn how to deal with this. What are we going to do with this? Because the truth is none of us are faultless. We all have problems. We all have things that we carry around and we all have some guilt that we carry with us. We have things that we wish if we could turn the clock back, that we would go back and we would make a different decision this time. 
But the problem is we can't go back because we made that decision already. And now we live with the guilt because of that. We can't go back and do it. So we feel bad about it. We feel guilty about it. And we carry it with us. There's a lot of ways that we react to guilt. Sometimes we just feel bad. Sometimes we repress it. Sometimes we stuff it down. Sometimes we blame other people. Sometimes we just make excuses. We have all these effects of guilt. And the best answer that the world around us can give us is this. Well, you're just going to have to learn to live with it. But that's not the answer. That's not a good answer. That is hopeless advice. Guilt destroys our confidence. You know why? Because we're always constantly thinking, well, if they really knew me, if they knew about me what I know about me, I mean, we're always afraid that someone's going to find out the things that we feel guilty about. We're afraid how they'll react to it and what they would say about it and if they're going to reject us or not. What if somebody finds out? So guilt robs us of like an emotional calmness because we're always thinking about that guilt. It robs us of confidence. It damages our relationships because we respond to other people Sometimes we get over angry because we have guilt in our lives. Sometimes we uh, get over critical because we have guilt in our lives. Sometimes we don't let anyone new into our lives and we keep them pushed away and we're trying to protect ourselves because what if they found out? So it damages our relationships. It keeps us stuck in the past. You know, it's like, it's like, we're constantly looking in the rearview mirror at all the junk in our past because we feel guilty about it. But we're trying to move our lives forward and drive forward. But it is impossible to drive forward if we're driving from the rearview mirror. We can't go forward without damaging ourselves further and damaging the people around us. Guilt, it messes us up. We get stuck in the past. So how do we get rid of this? We're going to suggest to you this morning that if you will do what we're talking about today, it is a journey, it's a process, but if you will do what we're talking about today, then you can share what the warrior king David felt because he had a past. But listen to what he wrote in Psalm 32, verse 1. Oh, what a joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Verse 2, yes, what joy for those who, whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. David had a past, but yet he was able to get to this point, and that's what we want to help you and help me do today. And this is a very important series of steps we're talking about today. And I'm going to tell you up front, it is very scary what we're talking about today. What we're talking about today is going to separate those who say, I want to get better, and they talk about getting better, uh, hoping to get better, needing to get better, wanting to get better. It's going to separate those people from the ones who actually do get better, because this is a big step. You see, guilt is very, very much alive in our lives, and we can try to bury guilt and stuff it down. That's what these people will do. If they don't do what we're talking about today, they're going to be the stuffers. They're going to try to stuff it down. They're going to try to bury guilt. But the problem is guilt always digs its way out of the grave and comes back and attaches itself to you because guilt is alive and very well. 
But today, if you will do the things we're talking about to do, doing, no matter how scary they really are, and they are, but if you'll do them anyway, I believe God is going to lead you to a clear conscience. He's going to lead you to some freedom. So, okay. Are you ready? We're just going to dig right in and tell you about this scary step. Here we go. We're going to clean some house today. That's what we're going to encourage you to do anyway. We're going to clean up some of that past, help you let go of some of that guilt where you can have a clear conscience. Now, if you do what we're talking about today, I believe within one week, you will start to feel better. You'll start to have some freedom and a clear conscience if you'll do what we're talking about today. So here we go. God in his wisdom tells us this in Proverbs. Proverbs 28, verse 13. You will never, you can underline that word, never succeed in life if you try to hide your sins. He says, confess them and give them up. Then God will show mercy to you. Now let's put that in the form of a step. Today, here's what we're asking you to do. Now, hold on. Hold on to your armrest. Unless someone else is holding on, then that would be weird. Don't hold on to their armrest. Here's the step. We're going to ask you to get to this point. God leads me towards freedom from guilt as I openly examine and confess my faults to God to myself, to someone I trust. So how do we do this step? There's five parts. I'm going to divide this one thing down into five, five things we're asking you to do. Here's the first part. We don't have a listener guide today, so if you're taking notes, you might want to write down this phrase here. We're going to ask you to take a personal moral inventory. What does that mean? It means you simply get alone. You're by yourself. You get out a pencil. You get out a notepad, a really big notepad, and you say this, what is wrong with me? (laughs) You start writing things down. You say, where do I feel guilty and why? And you start writing things down. What have I regretted about what I've done or said or I've thought? Write that down. Where, Where do I feel remorse? Write that down. Why do I feel remorseful? What faults do I have in my life? What are the things I have done? What are the things I have said? What are the things I have thought? And we're not asking you to make a list from yesterday. We're asking you to make a lifelong list. Get a big pad, big notepad. And then you're going to ask for some help. You say, God, I, I can't think of it all. So you say, God, will you bring to my mind, God, bring to my mind the things that need to go on the list? He may not bring everything up. He's going to bring to your mind the things that need to go on your list today and write them down. and, And we're going to ask you, don't write them down in general. Don't say, God, forgive me, I've sinned. Don't say, God, um, I've done something, you know, I drank too much or I did this, I did. Don't, no, be specific. When did you do it? Where were you? Be very detailed, very specific. Ask God, God, bring to my mind, what are the things that I consciously feel guilty about? And God, even help me. What are some of the things maybe I even unconsciously feel guilty about and I haven't even thought about them for years? God, help me bring those to my mind. You see, God's in favor of this. In fact, as he 
as he would teach the nation of Israel, he would teach them, you need to look at your lives and you need to create this account. Write down, examine, look at. Here's how one way it's worded in Lamentations 3.40. And again, look at the name, Lamentations. They were lamenting. And this is not really a happy, joyful process. Lamentations 3.40, it says, Instead, let us examine our ways. Let us examine our ways. Let us turn back to God. And God says to us, listen, look at, look at the way you have lived thus far. Look at the decisions you've made, the things that have gone wrong. Examine them specifically, not generally, very specifically, item by item, moment by moment through your life. What has gone wrong? And really the key, we're looking for our moral faults, our failures. Where have we blown it? Where have we messed up? God says, let's look at these. And then we're going to pray and talk to God about them in just a moment. We'll get there in just a moment. But not only are we to look at and analyze our thoughts and behaviors, but we're also then to go to God and say, God, I need your help here. Help me get this list as big as you want this list right now. Psalm 139, this is the warrior king. Listen to what he said in verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart, he said. God, I need your help. Look inside of my life, he's saying. I want you to search me. I need your help. Test me. He said, and I want you to even know my anxious thoughts. God, look in my life. Why am I anxious? Why am I struggling? Why do I have guilt? I need your help. And then he says in verse 24, point out anything, God, that offends you and lead me instead here. Lead me along the path of everlasting, everlasting life. He said, God, I need your help. Let's look in my life. Let's examine it. Item by item, moment by moment, thing by thing, thought by thought. These are the things I feel guilty about, God. Let's get them down on paper. So we're basically, basically it's like David is saying, God, I'm here. I, I, my paper's here. I've got a pencil. You just bring to my mind, God, everything that needs to go down here and start writing. Now, when you take this moral inventory, you need to take your time. Don't rush it. Don't rush it. In fact, this is something we should do many times during our life, not just once. We need to keep a very short account with God. Do this many. This first one's going to be giant. It's going to fill up some pages. If you're like me, anyway. Just be ruthlessly honest, brutally honest. Say, God, here it is. Here are my mistakes. These are the things I have done wrong. This is where, this is what happened. I did this. I said this. I thought this. Just write it down. Just say, I'm going to be dead level, gut level honest with myself and with God, and I'm going to write it down. And then you now look at me and say, Harley, but why, why do I need to put it in writing and here's the answer, because it forces you to be very, very specific. Now, I know in telling you to write this down, many of you have just checked out and you've just said, I, I'm not going to do it. I'll, I'll call it to my mind and I'll talk to God about it, but I'm not putting it in writing. 
I'm not going to write it down. I know many of you may have just written me off at that moment, but I'm just asking you to hang in there with me through this. Write it down. Put it on paper. Why, why can't I just think about it and pray about it? It seems like thoughts, as you get specific, somehow kind of detangle themselves as they pass from your mind through your lips to your fingertips. And it becomes more clear as you put it on paper. You see, I, I can be pretty vague if I'm just thinking about it. And you can make a choice to be vague on paper too, but we're asking you to be very, very specific as you write it down because it forces you to face the reality. It helps you to stop denying that, yes, I am involved here. It forces us to say, I am part of this. Here's everything that I can think of and God that you have reminded me of that I've done and I've messed up, I've blown it. And here's the second part. So first part, we're going to write it down. The second part, we're going to then accept responsibility for what's on the list. The greatest holdup for you and for me in getting better, the thing that will hold us back from getting better, it's you and it's me. It's ourselves. We're asking you to look at that list and we're asking you to take responsibility for what's on the list. Proverbs, the wisdom here says, verse, uh, chapter 20, verse 27, the Lord's light penetrates the human spirit, exposing every hidden motive. And that's what we're asking you to take responsibility for. Maybe those things that have been hidden for years, pushed down for years, and we look at them on paper and we say, that was me. I did that. That's my fault. And you might say, but, but Harley... You know, I, yes, I was there, I was part, but it was mostly their fault. We're going to ask you to not look at their part. We're asking you to just look at your part and to take whatever part is yours and to own that part 100%. That was my part. It was all me. That part was all me 100%. That was me. As you look at your list, page after page after page, there's one thing in common through that whole thing. It's you. You were there for every part of that, every entry, every moment, every thought, every word, every action. You were there. We're asking you to own that. Take responsibility for that. Don't blame others. Don't say, well, it was mostly their fault. It may have been, but own your part 100%. And when you do that, you are admitting that you've messed up. 1 John 1.8 says, if we claim that we have no sin, that means if we pretend that everything's okay, that I'm okay, I mean, you know, if we just kind of cover things up, smooth things over, if we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. The point is, if I really want to stop defeating myself, I have to stop deceiving myself. I have to admit that was me. Those were my thoughts, my actions, my words. I did those things. And God, I'm agreeing with you that they're wrong. 
That leads us to the third part of this. We're going to ask God to forgive us. We're going to ask God to forgive us item by item, (laughs) entry by entry, thought by thought, word by word, moment by moment, action by action. God, forgive me of that one. And you know, you're not letting God know something that he doesn't know. He already knows everything on your list. He already knows it all. You're not surprising him. You're not shocking him. He already knows. But here's what it happens when you admit to God. You're, you're admitting, you're not confessing, saying, God, I just want to let you know about this. He already knows. What you're saying is, God, I agree with you about this. I was wrong. This right here on this list, this item, number 37, that, God, that was wrong. And that was me. And it was my fault. Number 38 right there, God, that, that was me. Number 632, God, that was me too. It was all wrong. We're agreeing with God. We're just saying, God, I agree with that. But listen to what happens. So we said, if we, if, we, if we pretend like we don't have sin, he said, we're only deceiving ourselves. And then look what he says in verse 9, 1 John 1, 9. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to backslap you and to punch you in the gut. No, no, that's not there. He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all wickedness. If we will freely admit to God, God is going to freely forgive you. So what's the right way to ask God for forgiveness? Well, let me, let me answer that by telling you a couple of ways to not ask God for forgiveness. We do not need to beg God for forgiveness. We don't have to beg him because God already knows he's been waiting on you to ask him for forgiveness. He's been anticipating this moment with you. We don't have to beg him. He's ready. He's willing. We don't, we don't have to bargain with God. We don't have to say, God, if you'll forgive me, I'll never do that again. I promise. You don't have to say that because here's the truth. If this is something that's, that's a habit or an addiction or something you're really hung up on, you might do it again. You don't have to bargain with God. He's ready to forgive you right now. And you know what? You don't have to bribe God. You don't have to say, God, if you will only forgive me, if you'll just forgive me, then I'm going to go do this good thing for those people, and I'm going to go to church, and I'm going to tithe, I'm going to give money, I'm, I'm going to do these good things. If you'll forgive me, God, I'll do that. You don't have to bargain with God. You don't have to bribe God. Here's what you do have to do. You just need to believe that God will really do what he said that he would do. And that is, he will forgive you if you freely admit to him. He'll forgive you. You just have to believe that. He will forgive you. You say, but it just didn't seem fair. Sometimes we punish ourselves. You know, we know we blew it. You, you know you messed up. Maybe something went on in that marriage, and maybe it was a decision you made, something you did. And maybe, yes, there were maybe some things that led up to that, but maybe when it came down to it, there was something you did, and you know, you know, you know in your heart, you're saying, it was my fault, that was my fault, that was my fault. Maybe you live your life punishing yourself. Maybe you made a decision as a young parent. And maybe you had your kids in some environments that they didn't need to be in. But now you're punishing yourself because now your kids, maybe they're, they're teenagers or grown. Maybe 
even adults, but you're still punishing yourself for making those decisions as a young adult. Because you say, somebody's got to pay. It was wrong. Somebody has to pay. Somebody did pay. His name's Jesus. So we humbly come before God and we just simply lay it all out there specifically in detail, written down, and we say, God, this one, this was me. It was my fault. Forgive me of that. And you know how God responds to you? I think he responds to you like he responded to the nation of Israel. And God said to them through the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18, God saying to the nation, come now, come, come to me now. Let's settle this, says the Lord. He says, though, yes, your sins are like scarlet. In other words, your life, yes, I see it. You see it. It is stained. You messed up. We see the list. You blew it. Your life is stained. You recognize that. You feel guilt over that. Yes, your life is stained. But then he says, your, your sins are like scarlet, but I will make them as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, yes, stained, I will make them as white as wool. God says, no matter what the stain is, he says, I can, I will take the stain out. That's what God says. If we'll make the list, detailed list, own it, claim responsibility for it, and then agree with God. God, yes, that was wrong. Will you forgive me of that? Yeah, that one too. I agree with you, God. That one was wrong too. Just go down the list. And God's response is, yes, I will forgive you. Just freely admit to me and I'll forgive you. Now this next one. If I lost half of you with that other one, I'm going to lose the rest of you here. We're going to ask you to do this. The fourth part of this. Admit my faults to another person. We think we can get over everything without this step. But God says this is absolutely essential. Listen to how he words this in James chapter 5, verse 16. He says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. How are we healed? Somehow. I can't explain why. God has just placed it in us and in the laws of this life. By admitting our faults to one another, somehow we began experiencing healing. And you're thinking, Harley, okay, I, I was with you up to this. But why are we going to drag another person into my junk? Why can't, why can't I just admit it to God? I mean, I'm going to own it. I will own, I'll make a list very, very detailed. I mean, I'll give you times and dates. But why do we need to tell somebody else about my mess? Why don't I just pray about it? I'll be very serious. I'll talk to God about it. But why do I need to tell another person? Because he said... 
it seems like the root of most of our list is going to be something relational. It's going to involve other people. And there's something healing about involving another person in this process. You see, we wear masks, we pretend, we hide, we fake it. We don't want to, to, to admit things to others. We'll admit it to God, but I don't want to admit my imperfections to another person. What are they going to think of me? And it isolates us from people around us. And we end up living these lives of shame. We can go through all of these steps, but if we don't do this, there is a great chance, probably a hundred percent chance, we're still going to carry the guilt from all of that junk in the past. We're worried they're going to reject us, so we don't tell them. This phrase won't be new to many of you, but all of these things that we keep hidden, they make us sick. Common phrase in recovery says, I am only as sick as my secrets. The secrets that I hold on to. The secrets I hold on to, they're the ones that are going to make me sick. They're the ones I won't get over. Rick Warren has said this, and many other people, I'm sure, but it all originates with what God has taught us in James. Somehow, revealing our feelings is the beginning of healings. If you don't do that, the more you hide it, the bigger it gets, the sicker we get. We exaggerate internally. Everything that's going on, it just gets worse. But the amazing thing is when we risk honesty with a single person, just one person, all of a sudden, instead of anxiety, we get freedom. You realize everybody has problems. You realize you're not alone. They may not have the same problems you have, but they have their own list, and it probably has six, 700 items of their own. We're not alone. You realize you do need somebody. I mean, God said it himself. Somehow there's something therapeutic. And God uses that as part of the way he frees us from the guilt. So you say, okay, are you just asking me to broadcast my sins to everybody the ways I've blown it? No, that's not what we're asking. I mean, if you tell the wrong person, you're in big trouble. You, you don't just go out and just tell people or anybody. So who do you tell? Here's a few thoughts. You tell somebody that you trust. Somebody who can keep a confidence, not someone who's a gossip or has a reputation. If someone has ever come up to you and said, hey, did you hear about? That's not the person. Because if they'll come up to you, they're going to take your junk and go to somebody else. That's not the person. It's someone you can trust, someone who can keep a confidence. You talk to someone who will understand the value of what we're doing. Maybe someone who has even listened to what we're talking about through the series or will go back and listen to it for you before you talk to them. Someone who understands the value. Because the Bible has said, God has told us to do this. Someone who understands that value. Someone also who is mature enough that they're not going to be shocked by what you tell them. That'll take some maturity. Somebody... 
somebody who knows God enough that they will reflect His forgiveness and His grace and His mercy to you. And instead of shunning you, they're going to be drawn to you with grace and love and forgiveness. That may be someone that has taught a small group for you. It could be one of our pastors here. It could be, uh, it could be a dear friend that knows a lot about you, but they may not know everything on your list. That one dear friend that doesn't talk, but that knows God, understands the value of this, and can reflect His grace and love to you, even though you have a list. So what do you say? You find a safe place. You take that notebook. And you say, I just need somebody to listen to me do this. It's what we've talked about at church. It's a step. These are the things I've done. These are the things I've felt, the things I've said, the things I've thought. It's all the junk in my life. What I'm about to share with you is something I have never told anyone you might tell them. I haven't told anyone in life this. But I'm telling you. You don't have to tell everybody. We're asking you to tell somebody. And when you do, all of a sudden, all of the secrets that have been making you sick will suddenly stop making you sick just because you shared it and it's no longer with them a secret. But remember, be specific. Read it item by item, word for word, thought for thought, action by action. And you will experience God's grace. When should you do it? Our recommendation is as soon as possible. Because the more you procrastinate, the more you put this off, the less likely you will ever be to do it. And if you don't do it, then you are signing up to carry guilt with you longer. Here's the last part. After we've made the list, after we've owned the list, after we've agreed with God, yes, God, that was wrong. Forgive me for that, for that, for that, for that. Go through the list. Agree with God. Forgiveness. Then share it with somebody. And then this, the last part is accept God's forgiveness and forgive myself. Romans 3, 23 and 24. This is a paraphrase of that verse. Listen to what it says. Since we have compiled this long and sorry record as sinners, both us and them. In other words, he's saying all of us, not just me, not just you, all of us, every single person who has ever lived has a long and sorry record Every one of us. Some of you right now might be feeling lonely. You might be saying, Harley, you have been reading my emails. Someone has sent my text messages to you. You know the junk because you're talking right to me. And the fact is, no, I I don't know your junk. And I haven't seen your email nor your text messages. Because here's why. Because all of us, Every one of us, myself included, the other two pastors, all of us, we have these lists. 
Let's go back to Romans 3.23. Since we've compiled this long and sorry record as sinners, both us and them, and proved that we are utterly incapable of living the glorious lives that God has for us, we have tried and we have failed, he said. Verse 24, we, we failed at it, but, verse 24, God did it for us. Out of sheer generosity, he put us right in right standing with himself, a pure gift. He got us out of the mess and we're out of the mess we're in, and he restored us to where he always wanted us to be, and he did it by means of Jesus Christ. What happens if I take this step? Here's what happens. God forgives me. And he will forgive you, and he'll forgive you instantly. He doesn't wait. There's not a waiting period. He forgives you the moment you say, and and you're forgiven. He never makes us wait. He doesn't make us suffer while we wait to decide if he decides if he's going to forgive us or not. We do that as humans. God doesn't do that. He forgives you freely. He freely takes away the sins. He erases the record. I don't deserve that. You don't deserve that. I can't work for it or earn it. You can't either. He does it freely. And he forgives completely. He wipes it all out. Romans 8.1. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And from personal experience, I want you to know. He takes it away. He cleans it. God leads me towards freedom from guilt as I openly examine and confess my faults to God, to myself, and to someone I trust. You see, God, your Father, God, your Father loves you And he does not want you to live in guilt and the chains of the past. He paid a price to ensure that for you. He did that for you. He's your loving father. There's a guy, I... He he just pictures what I, I picture, how God would respond to me. This is what I picture. His name's Jim Hoyt. Jim Hoyt, they had, him and his wife, they had a child. The child had, was born with severe cerebral palsy. And the doctors told him, they were like, y'all need to put this child in uh, a, a facility. And you're not going to be able to care for him. You, you just need to put him away and forget about him. That's the advice they were given. But they, they couldn't do that. He, he was their child. So they raised him and... He was, the child was unable to communicate. He, he learned to communicate. He was able to use a computer and somehow get the computer, what was in his mind, to the computer. So the computer would say, speak for him. His mind was brilliant. He was, he was trapped physically. He graduated high school. He went on. He graduated college. Nobody thought. Nobody thought. He did. There was an organization in their town that was raising money, raising money for children with cerebral palsy. And, um, and the dad and, and Jim and, and the child, they, they wanted to show support. 
they wanted to show their encouragement for this and be a part. So they signed up and they were part of the race and everybody expected they'd just kind of run down to the end of the block and then um, turn around. You know, he'd, he'd push his child in the wheelchair and he'd kind of run a block or two and then end. But, I, you know, he, he ran the race. And, and when he got done, the child using the computer said to the dad, he said, Dad, when we're running, who, who was running? The dad was running. But the child said, when we're running, dad was pushing the child, when we're running, I don't feel trapped in my body. And so the dad saw that. He was like, yeah, that, that, that's amazing that he can feel that way, that I can help him feel that way. So they signed up for some 5Ks and ran some 5Ks. Then they, they progressed and ran some 10Ks. And they went on and ran a marathon even. I mean, they, they progressed. And then the child looking to the dad, the adult child by this time, adult child looking at the dad, and the dad nearly 60 years old at this point. The child looking at the dad, he says, I, I want to do the Iron Man. Now, the Iron Man is that triathlon in Hawaii. It's the, they say, the, the worst of the triathlons in Hawaii. So they, they swim like somewhere around 12 miles, I think, in the ocean, open water, no, no life jig, just swimming sharks and everything out there just swimming in the ocean like 12 miles. And after that grueling 12 miles of swimming, then it's like uh, somewhere around 125 miles on a bicycle up and down the mountains of Hawaii. And then after that, if that were not bad enough, after that, it's like it's a full marathon, 26.2 miles up the mountains and down the mountains of Hawaii grueling experience. The father, almost 60 years old now, they begin to train. They go to the Ironman competition. They sign up. They're there. They're in it. They compete. And, uh, he, you know, he does the swim and he's, you know, he's, he's taking his child with him. They're both in the race and takes the child with him. So he, an adult child. And so he's doing the swim and he's pulling his son in a boat as he's swimming, no life jacket, that's swimming for him and the son. He goes through the swim, he gets out of the water, picks up his son and puts him in his bike, which was specially made, designed, and, and not really all that, that well. And it was an older bike. It had been used, and so he gets him in and straps him in the bike, and he goes off onto the bike portion, and the bike breaks down in about the middle of the 125-mile bike ride. And so he's trying to repair it and trying to fix it, or he's going to have to drop out. By the time he gets it fixed, it's dark. The sun has set. Most, most of the other competitors have already finished the marathon, and the race is over for them. But he's just now getting back on the bike. And, you know, they have these timelines. If you don't meet certain time, you're supposed to drop out within the race, like if you get too far behind. But he kept going. And he actually, he made it through the bike portion. He starts the marathon, and he starts running. He picks his pace up, and he actually gets back ahead of the shutoff time. And then he actually begins to pass a few people. And he makes it all the way to the end. There. The child could not have done that on his own, but the father loved him so much, he did it for him. And you have a heavenly father who loves you that much that he knew you could not do it, so he did it for you. Watch this. What we could not do for ourselves, our loving heavenly father did for us. And this week we're asking you, will you make that list? 
Will you own that list? Will you talk to God about that list and ask forgiveness moment by moment, item by item? And then will you take the gutsy step to share that list with somebody you trust? Let's pray. God, so far in our lives, we have compiled a long and sorry record. We have proved that we are utterly incapable of living the glorious life that you have for us. So God, you did it for us. Out of sheer generosity, you put us right in right understanding, right standing with you, God. A pure gift. You got us out of the mess we were in and you restored us to where you always wanted us to be and you did it by means of Jesus Christ. And it is in that name we pray, the name of Jesus we pray. We offer you these two songs as worship. May our hearts resound with gratefulness. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.